and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and Disney Deciphered. How uh, how you doing today, Joe? Pretty good, pretty good. Quick PSA uh, when we banter. I don't know if you have experience with this, Sean, but I get fooled every single time. I get very excited to buy Disney products when I'm at the Disney parks. There was a monorail set that I bought for my son back in January, and that's when I actually found out you can get stuff shipped home. I never bought it before because I didn't want to ship it, but the shipping was very, uh, quote-unquote, reasonable. It was like $8 to ship it home. So I did that. Anyway, it was his birthday this week. He opened it up, and like always happens with Disney products, it did not work. Um, I finally figured out how to get it to mostly work, but it's still not like 100% functional. Um, Disney fans are crazy, as everyone knows, and they buy this stuff. I mean, I guess all toys are like this. Like we've gotten Hot Wheels things before that like broke in like five minutes and things like that. My son's really into that as well. But uh, all you need to know about this monorail set, Sean, is I was kind of like Googling online about how to fix it or if people had problems. And, you know, the top Reddit post was a monorail set as reliable as the actual thing. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, the monorail breaks down all the time at Disney World. So it was pretty frustrating. But I guess that's what uh, resellers kind of bank on, the fact that people just like the brand names uh, when it comes to toys and stuff like that and whatever. And, you know, these toys break all the time, but people will still buy them. Yeah, it's always nice when toys mimic real life, Joe. So, you know, they couldn't make the monorail, the toy monorail too good because you know it has to be like the authentic experience you get at disney breaking down all the time yeah so i mean i got a question for you like as a reseller you must have sold toys before that you knew were in high demand but like weren't necessarily the highest quality product but do you try to avoid that because doesn't it blow back on the reseller if the product isn't good yeah i mean it can and there there is varying quality in toys right but it's hard to always know what the return rate will be on a toy so every once in a while you'll get something and, you know, you might do really well on it, but then the returns are are really high. Like I've had that issue with some Stormtrooper helmets that I've sold. The margins were really high, but the return rate like eats into that significantly. And then once you get a return Stormtrooper helmet, because uh, it's one of the fancier ones, you know, it's not like one of the $10 plastic ones. You can, it's really hard to sell it again. And so I, I have like this whole stash of returned Stormtrooper helmets. I was thinking about like making some... I told Jasmine I should do some Halloween stuff with them or something. I don't know. What can go wrong with this? Like, are, are they supposed to, are, like, oh, are they the Stormtrooper helmets where you, like, press buttons and it's supposed to, like, talk? Like, in the parks where it's, like, move aside or whatever. Yeah, it's, like, one of the ones that people use for LARPing. So I wouldn't say it's, like, the highest-end Stormtrooper helmet, but it's, you know, a little bit nicer than, like, the cheaper ones. And it has this voice changer that doesn't work very well. And I think that's the main reason people return it is because, you know, it's supposed to make you into a stormtrooper voice and it doesn't work all that well. It's like very quiet. So they cheaped out and put this little cheap part in there instead of beeping it up a little bit more. And then people are like, why did I pay so much money for this when I don't? I think that's the main reason. But I'm telling you, it's the Disney stuff, man. It's no good. Wait, how, ha- <laughs> yeah, how heavy is it? Uh, Maybe I'll buy one off Disney. you. I'm like trying to think of my costume for going on the Star Cruiser thing. And what if I like I'm not going to wear this stormtrooper helmet, but what if I like carry it around like uh you know i could be like a bounty hunter and i'm carrying around the stormtrooper helmet of some dude i killed or something like that i probably that's not i, I already have a character in mind but it probably won't be that but you know i didn't know you had stormtrooper helmets lying around <laughs> did you see the uh the fake star cruiser hotel the space hotel in france i saw attractions 360 on youtube 
did a video of it. And the rooms look a lot like the Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, but it's like this whole space-themed hotel that uh, is only like a couple hundred bucks a night. So, you know, maybe for those of us who aren't getting to go to the Galactic Star Cruiser, we could still do that. I'll uh, I'll try to find a link. We can put it in the description because I don't think I I don't think Joe has seen it yet. But uh, it's a really cool kind of hotel out in the middle of nowhere that kind of simulates space. Although you can open the windows if you want to. I mean, that sounds pretty cool and like way cheaper. Um, so yeah, that's funny that they made that after. Disney released their Star Cruiser because you know, that's only been like 15 months since Disney did theirs. I don't know. I mean, the rooms look suspiciously similar to the Star Cruiser, like the bunk beds with the orange stuff. So I, I, I think maybe they saw Disney's designs or whatever. I didn't look into the history of the hotel. I don't even know the name of it. I did, it just popped up on YouTube, but uh, it looked like it looked pretty cool. And, you know, it, it somewhat simulates it for a far lesser price uh, than what you're doing with Disney. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. I wish I had more information off the top of my head, but I'll make sure we get a link so people can watch it. Yeah, I'll check that out. Attractions 360. Yeah, that sounds good. But, yeah, so um, getting ready for my trip in a couple of weeks, and uh, it'll be good. Are you all, like, recovered from, you know, what's it been like to be home for a week straight? Well, insert complaint about the weather here. You know, Las Vegas had, like, the coolest summer, uh, the deepest end of the year we've ever been without 100 degrees. And then, of course, we show up, and then within a couple of days, we finally hit 100, and then we hit 110 two days later. I think yesterday was 114, so that's been how it's been to be like in Las Vegas. But yeah, just resting and, you know, trying to enjoy the novelty of being home. And, you know, you can't really do much outside. It's Once it passes, like, and this sounds silly because it already is so hot, but about 105 in Las Vegas... It gets to be like too hot outside. You don't even want to be there. Even when you're indoors, the air conditioners, they work, but you're still always feeling the pressure of that hot air. So it's not, this is like the least nice time in Las Vegas for about the next two months. It's so weird though, because it is still, it's like high season, right? Like it's when stuff is typically the most expensive outside of December holidays and things like that. It has been traditionally in the past, but I think that's sort of changed. I mean, it's definitely a busy time of year, but I think a lot more of the shoulder seasons get busier. Like it used to be, and this is sort of similar with Disney, uh, you know, like November and early December were slower and there still are some slower periods, but I think people have spread out more and I think people come outside the summer months more than they used to. Uh, And I think there's less of an emphasis on like family travel now in Las Vegas. So I think you know, like in the 90s, I think it was busier in the summer because people would bring their kids and stuff. And I think, I mean, there's still a lot of kids that come here, but I just don't think it's as much as it used to be. That makes sense. Yeah, it is. I think all the hot places, um, temperature hot, not like cool hot places, I think they are experiencing this. Still busy in the summer because that's when everyone is off, but not as busy as they used to be. Like you said, Disney, the same thing. And I bet you like all all over the South, uh, stuff like that. And I wonder if in Europe they see similar trends in their, you know, warmer areas. So Disney, they, uh, <laughs> to start the, the podcast off with a lot of Disney talk, but this is practical stuff. This summer they've had these huge discounts, right? Like 35, 40% off certain hotels. And that's just a sign that it's been very slow in their bookings. Like I think most parks you can get any day. Um, and Joe can probably speak to that a little bit more. But the thing about those discounts is they raise the rates on their hotels so much that uh, I think I was listening to Disney Dish and they said that the rates are like, even after like a 40% discount are like what the rates would have been in 2019, the normal rates. So, you know, like on one hand, you're getting a really good discount, but on the other hand, it just reminds you how much prices have gone up. 
So even when you get a discount today, it's like, you know, it, it doesn't feel as good as perhaps it should. Yeah, it's I, I think my brain hasn't like fully adjusted for just what prices are now, because you're totally right. Like the 40% discount is now, you know, you stayed at the beach club, you've done a review in it in the past couple of years ago, um, and you weren't super impressed. But, you know, the discount still costs more than you paid then, I think, or I don't, I can't remember how you did it. But like the 35, 40% discount on beach club, it's like under $400 a night. Well, that's what the most expensive, that, that was what the normal rate used to be in 2019 and 2020 but it's not just disney because you know i was looking for flights down in a couple weeks did i buy them yes i think i did buy them and you know it was like 300 dollars round trip to fly on like a tuesday you know i ended up using points or whatever but i think i just i don't know about you sean but like my brain has just not adjusted to this new reality of how much things cost um and you know points do help with that but um, you know, I always start with the cash prices, especially with hotels, and it's just crazy these days. Yeah, it's a new world we live in, and I think that's even more of an emphasis, obviously, on why miles and points are so good. And you know, I had this later in the in the rundown, but we covered on the site this week a re- report released by Barclays uh, talking about how people are using miles and points like more than ever for their travel, and I think. Like I, I talked about being in Japan and the hotels we were staying in eight, nine hundred dollars a night. Like there's no way I was paying cash for those hotels. Obviously points did it. But even if I was trying to do it on a budget, like I used to travel before miles and points, you know, the cash rates of what were cheap hotels have sometimes doubled or tripled uh, as well. And it, it seems like, you know, we we're what well over a decade into this experiment of heavy mass marketing of travel rewards cards and, and everything else. And it seems like based on this survey that Barclays put out that it's sort of getting more ingrained in people's psyche. Uh, Basically, in that survey, 76% said they couldn't imagine taking the kinds of trips they want without the benefits of travel rewards programs. And that could be, I guess, elite status, free nights, things like that. Does that surprise you that 76% or is this just Barclays kind of pulling their own customers who are probably already in their ecosystem? I think it's a little bit of both. I would say that definitely, even between when I started as a travel agent in 2020 and now in 2023, the number of people who like just say the name Chase Sapphire, like they're like, I'm going to pay with my Chase Sapphire or like, I'm going to pay with my Amex Gold. And of course, there's some overlap, right? People also know me from this podcast and like my previous uh, life as a content creator slash blogger, quote unquote, in the miles and points world. But I think it's just become, you know, whereas when we started 10, 15 years ago, Sean, it was like a very niche hobby and not everyone was into it. I think it has become much more mainstream and everyone at least pays some kind of mind to loyalty when they are booking things. Like the other thing that the Barclays survey said was that 44% 44 of travelers say earning the most travel rewards is more important than getting the lowest price. And you see that, like, I think brand loyalty has become bigger um, using miles and points. And I think at the very least, even like your average traveler, generally like no longer listening to the Dave Ramseys of the world who say, you know, that it's a complete scam, knows that miles and points are a thing and it can save you money. So they're at least thinking about it. So it's like on the minds of people. Whereas again, 10, 15 years ago, I think people didn't even, they, like, they just didn't even know that that was something that was out there. Yeah, and this has been a coordinated marketing effort on the bank's parts, right? I mean, we've seen 
from you know what 15 years ago the sapphire preferred was really like the first card being marketed and then you know the maturation of affiliate programs and all the marketing and you have tv commercials everywhere and it's really become part of our society and like what you alluded to earlier 44 percent of travelers say earning the most travel rewards is more important than getting the lowest price so coming from it like from our perspective i think that's a little nuts like i you know i'm all for trying to to do you know trying to get more i guess of of rewards and trying to focus on programs that work for me and even maybe spending a little bit more for like a nicer property and stuff like that but to say you're going to flat out pay more money just to earn more points you really have to do a value calculation to figure out what are those points worth and you know sometimes paying 10% more to get an extra 2% in points doesn't really make sense and you're just robbing from yourself almost similar in a way to t- if you're paying interest how you're robbing from yourself on the value of those points. But I guess brand loyalty is strong because 44% is a little bit surprising there. Anything else stand out to you from that survey? No, I think, you know, just the fact that it is on top of mind for people, I think that's very interesting. And I I do want to emphasize what you said there, Sean. It is similar to people getting caught on paying interest rates and things like that. Like, remember, the banks... Like they're in it to make money. The airlines are in it to make money. They know how to manipulate the system and set up everything. So it just looks just lucrative enough, right? But they're making money off you. I mean, what was that stat? Like one of the airlines, you know, we saw that maybe it was Sky Miles or something that like 50% of their profits or something was due to their loyalty program or something like that. Yeah, this is huge money for them now. And, you know, it's, it's, the airlines are making, yeah, it's like you said, just as much money selling the miles and the co-branded credit cards. And not only that, the whole ecosystem around it. That's why we saw American, you know, move to loyalty points. And that has really, you know, driven a lot of stuff through people using their shopping portal, people using their credit cards for spend to earn, to get elite status. So it's, you know, been a big deal. And I think it gets people more focused on all this. They did say Barclays that 50% of people said they're traveling less because of inflation. So we're seeing that. But obviously, this is a survey put out by a bank who has loyalty programs. So they're, you know, this is there to sell why loyalty programs exist, how they're great for people. And, you know, we, we agree. I think that they're great for people as long as you understand what you're doing and aren't blindly chasing those points. You're doing some value calculation to make sure that uh, it's making sense for you. And the truth is, and we've talked about this on the show before, if we all paid cash and there was no transaction fees, I think the world would probably be a better place, but that's not the system we're in. So our job, right, as people just advocating for ourselves and advocating for everybody else out there is say, okay, well, how do you maximize within these programs? And that means that we can get great value and travel for free and do a lot of stuff while other people are paying those interests. They're, you know, pursuing bad points deals overpaying more, you know, more in cash and things like that. They're making those mistakes. So people who are in this hobby or who kind of pay attention can benefit. I think that's like the unfortunate reality of things. You know, I mean, this, whatever you, whatever you want to say about it, like that's capitalism and, you know, people are losing money to the banks and, you know, in the miles and points hobby. Um, you know, I just try not to think about it, but like we are, uh, it's like, it's like gambling, right? Like we are winning off the edges that we can, create but those edges are being created off of people who are losing so unfortunately miles and points is not a zero sum game at least as long as the banks are in control of it and really it comes down to it's the banks that are in control of things overall um, before the airlines yeah we really are at the mercy of these loyalty programs did you see about that thing i wrote about hilton shutting down this member's account 
for getting too much compensation. Uh, it was on Loyalty Lobby, and this person had an account, 400,000 points, and I guess they had complained a few times. In fact, in a follow-up post, they said that all they had done was filled out surveys after a couple of stays, so they didn't have a lot of recent stays with Hilton, um, and they were on, you know, the, so they're not, not a lot of recent revenue with Hilton, and I guess each of these times they filled out the survey, the manager responded, gave them points, and then Hilton apparently has this algorithm where it looks at what types of compensation you got versus how much revenue you've brought in. And they decided to shut down his account, take his 400,000 points. And uh, just, I guess, a, a warning for all of you people who like to complain a lot. Uh, we did, I don't know, if did we talk about that on this show? We probably already did. Now I'm thinking it. Now that no, was... we did not. So, yeah. So I'm glad you put this up there because we did not talk about it last week. And uh, when you shared the article, this was the first time I had seen it. You know, we've talked about this before. It is crazy that we are at the mercy of these loyalty programs. And this does seem like a little bit stringent on Hilton's part. Yes, probably you shouldn't be complaining after every single stay. And that is abusing the program a little bit. But it's almost like the Barbara Streisand effect where... I wouldn't have known that you could get points from Hilton from surveys, but because this person, 400,000 is like, what, three nights at a Hilton? I yeah, mean, I'm joking, much. but it's not a lot. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, I don't know, stringent, I think, of Hilton for shutting them down here. Yeah, and, you know, they shared more detail about it. Obviously, the insinuation by Hilton is that some of the correspondence between this person and them haven't been so nice. We only kind of see the letter that Hilton sent. Uh, this person claims that they just did it via the surveys through a follow-up. It's just interesting, but it's a good reminder that we do live in their worlds. And, you know, this is, we've talked about shutdowns before. And, you know, when a company deems you not profitable, they'll do that. So there's this fine line between like pushing for, you know, compensation or what you think you can get. And then, you know, this where you get shut down for it. And, you know, I, all I can say is I, travel a lot, right? And maybe one or two stays at the most a year where I'm getting compensation out of 70, 80 stays or whatever it ends up being or nights. Uh, so, you know, if you find you're complaining more than that, probably not a good idea if you value your points. Uh, but it's an interesting way that Hilton's fighting back. And I thought it was worth, you know, highlighting because we all sort of can be victim to that. But then on the other side, when something does happen, you want to be able to feel free to to kind of complain and get compensation. It's something I credit Hyatt with a lot uh, because when I have really pushed for compensation, I've gotten it. And But that's probably because I stay a lot and I'm not asking for compensation on every stay. So, you know, balance. But I do know people in this hobby who always push that compensation angle. Yeah, I advise you check out the comments on this article. They are popping off. So nice job, Bill building engagement there, Sean. But uh, I do think this person who got shut down, they took it too far. Uh, you know, like a lot of the comments say they're a serial complainer. I agree with that. And I don't think either of us are the type of person who complains. I mean, you only complain, okay, when there's a uh, flood being created by you, uh, you know, at Atlantis and stuff like that, throwback to our first year of the podcast. So, you know, I think if something goes wrong, it is you know perfectly within your rights to complain about it. This person pushed it too far, but like two things can be true, right? This person may have pushed it too far, but this is still a reminder that the loyalty programs hold all the cards, and sometimes they do unilaterally shut people down unfairly. We've seen that before uh, in the past, and so it's just kind of a reminder, as we've said many times, burn your points as soon as possible because you know that's kind of the safest way to make sure 
none of the loyalty programs take them back from you. Definitely. And while we're staying on the topic of hotels, uh, there were a couple new Hyatt Amex offers that came out this week. Uh, one of them is for Hyatt Centric in the Americas, Europe, Asia, and Australia. $75 back with a $300 purchase, so 25% off there. Not bad at all. And then also for Hyatt's independent collection, there's an Amex offer for $100 off a $400 purchase. So a Hyatt, you know, 25% off your Hyatt stays. Always a good thing. And I know those are popular Amex offers with people. Maybe we'll get some more brands like the regular Hyatt brand and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then also Dream Hotels, which Hyatt acquired, I don't know, maybe, what, six months ago, nine months ago. Uh, they finally are bookable on Hyatt.com. And if you book a Dream Hotel between July 6th and September 15th, an extra 1,000 bonus points per night. And I'm imagining, I haven't looked in the app, but I'm imagining they're going to add Dream Hotels to the brand list, making it easier to, I think we're up to, you can get five free hotel nights. I think there are over 25 brands now. Uh, I'm sitting at 15, which kind of sucks, Joe. Have you ever been there where you just got the free night and then now you have like five more brands to go and I'm like in no rush to get there because, you know, once, you, once you're 15 brands in, it's not so easy to kind of pick up extra brands for the Brand Explorer free night. Yeah, because they're so like random. You're talking to a guy who's been stuck on 14 for like two years too. And I'm not going to go out of my way. I mean, I haven't been to any towns. Actually, did I just stay at a Thompson? Maybe I hit it. I got to go check. Um but like I'm not gonna go to a town just to hit the brand, and so you know it's tough to keep track. I do feel like once uh, you know, I think we do want to try out some all inclusives just because it's gonna be easier for our lives for travel. Um, all these new all inclusive Hyatt brands, um, you know, we haven't even done Ziva yet, so like we can start with that. But like Dreams um, and the other ones, uh, it'll be it'll be fun to try. Yeah, it's always nice and remind and a good reminder that play that and. In- two-player mode you know your player two has their own account too and this is something i've been really bad i just got jasmine her first free night so she just hit five brands because this final last year i finally focused on that because i was always the globalist so i always just put the stays in my name uh, and generally she doesn't travel very often by herself so uh but now you know with gift guest of honor and sometimes you're just at a throwaway hyatt place where it doesn't really matter if you have status so you just book it there uh, whatever uh, but you can, you know, make sure you get those free nights for your uh, for your significant other, especially those easy brands like Hyatt Place, Hyatt House, Hyatt Regency, the ones that you're hitting all the time. So it's good to throw those and uh, then you can pick up some of the more exotic ones uh, there. So uh, Prime Day is coming, Joe. Are you are you ready? I mean, uh, it's been a while since we've had a huge Amazon sale. And by the time uh, in July 11th and 12th is when Prime Day is coming back. I've been sort of over Prime Day. We will continue to cover it on the site, and that's why I'm mentioning it here. We'll have a, on Prime Day. We'll have an ongoing list of deals, so you can go there, see everything being offered. Uh, we've talked in the past. You know, buyers groups usually pretty active on Prime Day, so that could be something. I mean, you probably want to get uh, if you're not doing buyers groups. You know, it's probably not the greatest time to start, but it's a it's a good time to pick up some spend. Maybe plan ahead for some spend that you're going to do. But I mean, you know. July Prime Day, I think, is usually a little better. Last year, didn't we have, like, multiple Prime Days, and then we had Black Friday? It just seemed like it was all too much, but maybe it's been a while. Maybe we're ready for some Kindle deals or something. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, figure out what happened. You know, I know I got less excited about Prime Day as I got, you know, further and further away from buyer's clubs and things like that, but I also think that Prime Day used to be a bigger deal 
just to the general public. And I feel like Amazon has pulled back a little bit. Maybe they, you know, maybe the original Prime Days were more of a loss leader and got people even more stuck into the Amazon ecosystem. But, you know, it just seems like nowadays it's just like a, you know, I wouldn't say it's like a mini sale, but it's almost it's almost like a seasonal sale, right? Like, oh, it's summertime or we're having a sale. So it's just not as exciting as it used to be. I also have more Kindles than I need for the rest of my life, no matter how many times they update it. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, and I, and then I guess the other thing is like, I have bought like tablets for the kids and things like that on prime day. And then going back to like what we're talking about, you know, toys that suck. Like I have so many crappy Samsung tablets. That's why we like ultimately just caved and bought an iPad um, even though that one's like three or four years old, but, um, and you know, I'm not an Apple fan boy at all, but at the same time, like all the cheap quote unquote, $80 tablets that we've tried on prime days in the past have never been good. And I think that has also put me off prime day as well. I don't know if you said the date, but if not, it doesn't hurt to repeat it again in audio medium, but July 11th and 12th is when prime day is supposed to be. Yeah, I agree. I think that some of the loss leaders and the bigger deals don't happen anymore. The way I see Prime and, you know, because I'm studying Amazon prices fairly often for the reselling, at least on the toy side, is oftentimes Prime Day, you're going to see best of the year prices or the best prices that you've seen on a certain items for months. Uh, and, you know, so it's not always going to be like, oh, my God, this is 30% better than what we've ever seen. But it might be, oh, this hit this price once six months ago on the last Prime Day. Uh, and as always, I recommend using Keepa or Camel, Camel, Camel so you can track price histories. So if you are seeing a deal, you can say, oh, this really isn't that great of a deal. And a lot of third-party merchants will add these coupon codes that make it a little harder to tell like what their historical lows are. But you can generally kind of understand what what this is. And probably 99% of what you come across on Prime Day will not be the lowest price it's ever been or it'll tie the lowest price. So don't get caught up in the hype. But if you want to generate miles and points, there's all kinds of deals. Usually Amazon has deals for their co-branded credit cards. So look out for that. We already have some early Prime deals on the site. And like I said, we'll do an ongoing resource through Prime Day. So check that out so that we you can kind of pick and choose the deals and we'll, we'll sort through all of that for you. So yeah, ex exciting for another Prime Day. And for a third time, Joe, it's July 11th and 12th. So back to back to hotels, but Chase has their new welcome offers on their consumer IHG cards. And these are not the best offers we've ever seen, but they're pretty good and they have like a new kind of kicker to them. The IHG One Rewards Premier Card, 140K bonus after 3K spend, but they also add in $100 in statement credit on purchases made at IHG during the first 12 months. So we've seen that before with other cards. You're basically getting $100 hotel credit. I believe 175k was the top bonus of that in the past. So you have to kind of decide, you know, you're getting 35k less points, but you're getting the $100 statement credit. I would say overall not a better offer than the 175k, but you know, if you want to get it, it's fine. And then the IHG One Rewards Traveler Card 80k bonus points after 2,000 in spend in the first three months. I think that one had 120,000 point bonus before, so nowhere in the realm of that. Uh, but it also has a $50 statement credit if you want to do that. So IHG, it seems like every couple months they're coming out with a new offer. They're like aggressively pushing into the window. A lot of these other co-branded cards, you'll see them come with increased offer once or twice a year. But it seems like IHG continues to play around with it. And, you know, it might be time to grab one of these cards if you haven't had it. I personally have had a stash of IHG points for years. 
and I very slowly use them, but I do use them occasionally. And usually for me, it's like road trips. It's the lower end hotels. Um, you know, I just stayed at the Holodome. So I do find ways to use them, but they're definitely my fourth program behind uh, Hyatt Hilton, Marriott, and IHG. But because of their footprint, because of, you know, they're, they're kind of specializing on some of those low end road trip hotels, it does come in handy. That's funny. I was just... In fact, I need to check. I can't remember if I decided in my head to cancel my wife's IHD card or if I've already done it. But I realized like after two years of not using the free nights, one one year I think I gave it to my parents and then I think this year I just totally forgot about it. I'm like, okay, I'm done with these IHD cards. Like it's just too much mental bookkeeping for me to, you know, keep an eye on that. So it's funny that you bring these cards up. I think you know, back when we were staying at a lot of IHGs, um, I thought this was great, you know, with Holiday Inn and all that stuff, but it's just not where we're staying these days. So I think uh, it was time to let it go. In fact, I'm so like my goal for the summer is to like clean out my credit cards. Actually, Sean, another like I'm like I'm done with U.S. Bank Altitude Reserve. Like I never use it. And then I used to offset the fee with like the travel credit and stuff like that. But I'm like. I'm definitely going to forget that soon. And so I just redeemed all my points. Um, and then for a statement credit, I'm going to spend enough to use that statement credit. And I'm going to cancel that card too. So I'm in, I'm in a bit of a housekeeping, uh, house cleaning mode for the summer. Kind of off topic, but did you see that American Express, this whole housekeeping thing just triggered this in my head, was clawing back points on like gold cards for grocery spend, uh, things that they deem were gift cards. I think Vin at Miles Per Day has covered this, so I think you can find an article uh, from him. But it seems like it's pretty widespread. A lot of people have had points clawed back in bonus categories. So, uh, again, it's something I forgot to put on the rundown, but just, I guess, a word of warning for people out there charging up big amounts of, of money in the grocery category that uh, Amex is coming out for that. Again, we've seen this in the past on all different levels from you know shutting people down to just taking points. Uh, you know, it started what a few years ago. Remember, there was a leaked hundred K link for the platinum um, in the days when a hundred thousand bonus points on the platinum was a huge deal, and you know they even clawed back bonuses. So, uh, Amex is going back to being Amex, I guess. You know, with this weird sort of sort of thing, but you know, just a reminder, I guess your points are never your points till they're posted to your account, and even then, they're subject to be taken being taken back. I guess kind of similar to the Hilton story. Yeah, it's weird that. It feels like it's like every couple year or maybe every year the Amex Rat team just needs something to do, and they claw some stuff back. Um, I can link Vin's article. You know, I think the weird one was he had some like one X bonus bonuses, uh, you know, revoked or whatever. So it's not even a bonus, right? It's just regular spending. But yeah, I guess Amex is starting to take you know because the terms and conditions have always said gift cards or money equivalents or whatever um, won't work but um, for points earning and stuff like that. But it seems like they're taking it seriously this time. And it might be one of those things where like they do this this one time and then you, you, you never know with Amex, right? They might let it through for another two years and then just claw stuff back in the future. So it's, I think, you know, they, they benefit again, the banks are in it to make money. They benefit off of us being nervous and not being sure exactly what the rules are. Although again, the rules were written there, but they were never enforced. So, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, and they did this, what, with Hilton cards a few years ago, too, 
uh, I think the surpass card on all the grocery spend, and they just, you know, for a period of a couple months, they clawed back so many people's points, and then, you know, we haven't heard so much about that anymore. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah, the, do they just do it once in a while to fire some shots, keep people, uh, you know, on their toes, uh, or, you know, will this be an ongoing thing? But as you point out, and I think it is worthy to point out because people get mad at the banks, you know, they write these programs, they have it in the terms and conditions, what works and doesn't, and it's hard to get mad when, you know, they stop paying out on, on stuff that they're not supposed to. But then again, it's, you know, frustrating if you were counting on that and stuff like that. So hopefully it doesn't go widespread. That's why we haven't really covered it too much. But I know I saw not just Vin, but quite a few other people that lost points uh, to that. So Joe, I know it's a uh, 4th of July week and I, 4th of July will have already happened by the time this comes out. But probably a lot of people out there are traveling this week. This is one of my least favorite weeks to travel just because it's so hectic everywhere. Um, you know, road tripping in the U.S., if you're doing a summer road trip in June, is great. Once you hit around July 4th, then everything gets packed, and it's like that through the rest of July. But uh, I know many people out there are traveling. Do you have any special plans for 4th of July? I'm just sitting at home uh, watching the Vegas fireworks. I do not. It's actually pretty weird because um, we normally we travel like as soon as school is over. And we travel until like mid July, and then we're and then we're then we go to New Jersey for like a few weeks, and then we're back in August. Well, this year because we're going to Australia, and New Zealand, and the Women's World Cup isn't until late July. You know, we're not traveling until then. We're taking or three of us are taking that quick Disney trip um, in the middle of July. But we're here for like three weeks, uh, which again we didn't get out of school until last week as you're listening to this, or that was our first week off. Um, my wife and I are ready to driving each other crazy, by the way, but. Um, you know, people say that uh, your kids drive you crazy over the summer when you're at home together. Well, when your teachers, your spouse drives you crazy because you're not normally at home together all this time. That being said, it is like kind of bizarre just being home. Maybe maybe this is how you feel coming back from your long trip. It's just I'm just not sure what to do my, with myself. Like one kid is in a half day camp. One kid's in a full day camp. The other kid's in no camp at all. And like we're just kind of making things up as we go along. But it's nice to rest um, after a long year. But yeah, probably watch the, we are debating whether to go, you know, our kids are probably old enough to go to the Esplanade. If you like fireworks, I do recommend visiting Boston's at least once in your lifetime. I mean, it's a spectacular show. I used to, in my twenties, I think I've said this before, camp out starting at like 8 a.m. for like in a tent for like the best spot. Obviously you can't do that anymore. But one nice thing is um, even my first summer here, um, all the way back in 2002, just I just remember my roommates were like, oh, we're just going to walk down. Um, and, you know, you can just walk down last minute and get a decent spot. Um, and it's a ton of fireworks. So um, maybe we'll do that. Probably not. Maybe we'll wait a year or two for the kids to be a little less scared of fireworks. But looking forward to watching it on TV, as always. Um, they put on a great show here. Yeah, and I hope everybody out there has a great fourth, whether you're on the road, whether you're at home watching fireworks burning off you know here in vegas the big thing is the illegal fireworks it's gotten so insane that you know there's a couple of native reservations that are just outside the city that you can go buy all the bottle rockets everything and i feel like over the last 10 years it's just become insane with the amount that people do you don't even need to do it yourself because you can just look up in the air and there's fireworks everywhere not to mention all the shows so it's quite an interesting thing if you're ever in las vegas uh, especially if you have a, the ability to get a view of kind of the whole city, you will see just fireworks from end to end in the valley. It's it's interesting and scary and 
every you know every year a couple houses burn down but i guess that's just collateral damage in the fourth of july fun so uh that's gonna do it i think for this week's show uh joe where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast you can find me at as joe flies all over social media unless your rate limit is exceeded on twitter that's I feel like, bad because yeah. I haven't hit that yet. So I'm like, am I not uh, am I not obsessed with Twitter enough that I'm not scrolling it enough to hit the limit? No, I th- I think that there were other issues and that like they kind of made up. I like I don't think it's a six. I, it's there's no way it's 600 posts because like yeah, I'm a Twitter fiend. But like I woke up in the morning and I opened it and I I I swiped once or something, and then all of a sudden like everything was rate limit exceeded. So I don't know what's going on. If you got a blue sky invite. Please hook your boys up uh, in case, uh, you know, we. I, I need some kind of text-based social media, but Twitter just does not feel like it's just not the same. I feel better because I was like, am I just not worthy of this rate limit thing because it didn't happen to me? I was like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, funny, the funniest thing was like Elon is like, oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm doing this for your benefit. Okay, man. All right. I mean, your job is to like make money on this website that you dumped all this money into, and you're losing. Um, so yeah, this is, you you didn't do it for our benefit, but whatever. Um, so just uh, be careful, Sean, that your Tesla doesn't get mile limited at some point. I'm sure it's on the on the books. Anyway, Sean, where can uh, we find you? All over social media at Miles to Memories. I'm unlimited on Twitter, so you can follow me there. Uh, we have our Facebook group, Facebook.com/slash/group/slash/Miles-to-Memories where you can learn more about miles and points. And uh, of course, we still have our diamond group, a few slots available there as well. Everything we do, posts, podcasts, and videos at milestomemories.com, the new milestomemories.com, our new design fully launched. And uh, we'll be rolling out some other cool things, but the whole design is there. So it's prettier than ever before. Check it out, milestomemories.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya.